Anybody that knows me knows that I'm not a world traveler. In fact, I'm not even a local traveler. <laughs> the phrase travel and leisure to me makes about as much sense as flaming snowflakes. I, I don't understand how people uh, put themselves through the things they do with uh, airport security and uh, fl uh, flight delays and um, layovers and then passwords and uh, taxis and all the things, <laughs> all the things you go through trying to get someplace so that you can, quote, vacation, end quote. All the stress that you deal with at the airports or, uh, or even driving through the desert in the middle of the night in your rental car. Uh, the, these, to me, uh, in my mind, don't equate to um, taking a holiday certainly don't relate to relaxation. And um, I just have to share with you a testimony of the Lord's mercy and the Lord's grace. Uh, my wife and I recently uh, flew to uh, Phoenix, Arizona, and then uh, spent uh, a week up in Sedona, which is about 100 miles north of Phoenix. <clears throat> it's a very... Um, popular destination. Uh, there's some massive red rock formations in that part of Arizona, which are really quite spectacular, quite impressive. But the area itself, Sedona itself, is just a hotbed for New Age spirituality. And, uh, and there is a, a certain diabolical, almost creepiness uh, in the spirit of the area, uh, though the people are very friendly, uh, there's there's just something not right. And if you're aware, if you're thinking, if you're discerning, you realize that you are in an atmosphere where people are worshiping the stars and the moon, and they're doing their uh, palm reading, and there's uh, the black cat type spirituality going on all around you. So I felt that all the time we were there, and I was just. I wasn't alarmed by it. I wasn't freaked out by it, but but I was just aware, and it just it just doesn't have the same sense of of uh, relaxation. So, but there were many, and I, I won't go into detail. But there were many ordeals that we had to deal with in our travel, including a three-hour uh, rental car line, um, the loss. Uh, my wife lost her license, uh, misplaced her license to someplace, which typically you need to get back on the plane um, for ID. Uh, and so, and then she left her laptop in Sedona when we were already back at the Phoenix airport. Just the little annoyances and challenges and glitches of travel. So we spent some time when we finally got settled in our uh, rental house, our VRBO, um, up in Sedona. Uh, we took some time just to pray, just to calm our minds, still our hearts, and get before the Lord's presence and pray. And that helped immensely, of course, because one of the things I realized is that life happens. And this is a very important part of being able to recover. For any of you who are struggling from trauma, um, which includes fear of abandonment, fear of, of uh, loss, fear of, of, of losing your sense of safety, um, fear of being all alone, 
and then codependence, how, uh, how that works as well in our lives. Um, and then, of course, any form of addiction that that can trigger for you because you're looking for comfort. And so, uh, but rather than looking to the old patterns of the old man, as we understand the Bible puts it, we instead wanted to, to, to calm ourselves and, and become aware, conscious even, of God's great precious presence. We wanted to focus on him as our comfort. So we opened our Bibles to James chapter 1. And these are familiar verses for some of you, but I want to share them with you. Um, he says here, uh, I'll start with the introduction. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes and the dispersion. Greetings. Uh, he's speaking of those who are Jew and Gentile, who are now included in the one people of God in Christ, who are nonetheless spread throughout Asia Minor. And at this time, people were um, uh, who were in Christ, who had made an open public profession of Christ, were suffering persecution, both from the Roman Empire and their demand that you say Caesar is Lord, so if you're walking around the Asia Minor in these days and you're professing Jesus as Lord, you are in direct conflict with the Roman authorities. And they were facing persecution from the Jewish uh, religious leaders in the synagogues uh, system throughout Asia Minor as well. So, so they were being uh, they're embattled on two fronts, Roman and Jewish. Um, and not to mention the disdain for those who are adherents to Greek spirituality and Greek philosophy um, and being imposed upon them. And so to be a Christian in Asia Minor at this point in church history was very precarious. So James writes this in beginning with verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, end quote. Let me just pause there. The first thing we discovered, my wife and I discovered, is that uh, we are to count it all joy. <laughs> now, um, I don't live there, typically, but I want to. And I live there more today than I used to. And I'm hoping that I just don't live there as much as I will tomorrow that it's, it is a progressive sanctification that I'm experiencing. I want to be, and I want for you, my listeners, I want you too to be able to experience joy, or to be able to at least count it joy. See, it's, it's how we respond to circumstances. Whether you're traveling, or whether you're stuck on the freeway at home, or your boss is grumpy that day, or your kids are acting out, or there's something, the car breaks down for the third time this month. Um, whatever it is, whatever it is, um, it's, it's not the circumstances that are necessarily the problem, but how we respond to the circumstances. Now, if you're not a believer, if you are not in Christ, you have no hope for finding joy in your circumstances. You're just a victim. 
That's the mindset. If you want to live autonomously from God, you want to try to block out God from your conscious awareness and live on your own self-willed terms and ways, then that leaves you pretty isolated. And and believe me, as, as a fellow human being, I can tell you, we are subject as human beings to a lot of things. We're subject to the weather. We're subject to the economy. We're subject to the authorities. We're subject to our physical bodies deteriorating. We're, there's a lot of things. There's just too many things that we are subject to to think that we can live successfully, happily, apart from fellowshipping with our Creator. It's just not going to happen. You're going to be miserable. You're going you're gonna to have to look, and this is where your addiction always comes in. You're going to have to look for some kind of false form of spirituality, some kind of false form of spirituality that will um, give you the illusion that you can be connected or you can live in the transcendent realm uh, or even claim to be in fellowship with God and yet maintain the illusion that you are in control. And that's the kind of spirituality, quote unquote, that was going on up in, and is going on to this at this moment in Sedona, Arizona. It's a it's a um, a, a new age type occult like um, uh, spirituality that gives you the impression, the illusion that you're a part of the great transcendent universe, and that you know you can adopt a name as Star Child or or moonbeam or something and you can look out at the stars at night and you can judge your mood by whether or not Jupiter is aligned with uh, Mars and so on and so on. You're one with the rocks. Some of the rock formations in Sedona look like people from a distance. I mean, it's kind of, you can see why the Native Americans used to refer to them as the rock people. And so people make much of that kind of thing too, that they're that they're one with the, the rock formations. If you if that's the kind of spirituality you're pursuing, then you're you're just deluded. It, it's just a deluded form of spirituality. On the other hand, if you are in Christ, then your humanity is being restored. What it means to be human is realized in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Not in Adam, but in Jesus. And be, if you are in Christ, and being in Christ means that you are actually uh, being renewed and, and restored into your humanity. Jesus stands as the eternal model for what it means to be human. If you want to know what it really means to be a human being on this planet, look to Jesus. Follow in his footsteps. And though they be blood-stained footsteps, they are nonetheless the path to joy. For the joy set before him, we're told in Hebrews, he endured the cross. So we have this opportunity. My wife and I suddenly realized, sitting in Sedona with all this these ordeals and glitches and circumstances that have happened on our, our trip, um, that we could relax and we could choose to count it all joy. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet 
trials of various kinds. That that told us that we met trials of various kinds, that trials, he's not just talking about persecution here, he's just talking about life. Various kinds of trials. Now, let's consider that word trial. In our legal system in the United States, when there's a trial, it's because something needs to be either proved innocent or proved guilty. And you need to provide the evidence. We need to come up with evidence to determine whether this person on trial is approved or guilty, innocent or guilty. So James is telling us here that something's on trial. When, when, we, when we are facing various kinds of trials, whether we get dressed for work, grab a cup of coffee on the way out the door and spill it down the front of us, that's one form of trial. Uh, all the way up to a diagnosis of cancer or the death of a loved one and everything in between, including persecution, which we know little of in the United States. But count it all joy, my brother. So there's, there's various trials, various types of trials of various kinds. And if you're human, you're going to experience them. There's no way to escape them. Life happens. But here's the good news. It says that your faith is being tried. For you know, why, why do we count it all joy? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. Now, Normally, the way the world thinks, that trials of various kinds create chaos, create instability, volatility. So we, we do our best to avoid trials. We do our best to try to control our environment. We do our best to kind of control others. We do our best to try to sometimes just kind of withdraw into ourselves and put up walls so we don't have to encounter relational trials and, and be vulnerable to anybody. And, and, and yet, that doesn't protect us. The most cloistered monk and the most cloistered monastery is going to have daily trials. It's just part of being human. But And what the text is telling us here is that we have the promise that when you and I encounter various trials, that we are going to experience the outcome of not volatility, not chaos, but steadfastness or perseverance, to be translated in another way. So let steadfastness... Let stability, let perseverance have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, when he says perfect here, he's talking about you growing up. He's not talking about you reaching some kind of sinless perfection. He's referring to the fact that this is how God grows us up. This is how God matures us. We grow up by facing life on life's terms, but on God's in God's perspective, God's purposes. Remember, God causes what? All things to work together for good to them that love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, um, what purpose is that? 
that you would be conformed into the image of his son. So God causes all things. So we have every confidence. When we wake up in the morning, we can head out into the day having every confidence that no matter what we encounter, we can have the uh, confidence, one, that God is with us, two, that his presence will comfort us if we stay calm, stay calm, take a deep breath, ask for help, pray for mercy. <laughs> There's a couple of days, a couple of evenings, uh, especially one time late at night, uh, I was praying, uh, just begging the Lord for mercy. Have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. Allow us, please, to let us get back on the plane and drive, fly back home to Seattle. We didn't want to have to drive. <laughs> it's a 1,400-mile journey. So I was praying for mercy. And the Lord had mercy. And the mercy that he immediately showed me, and please hear me now, the mercy that I immediately experienced in that Arizona rental house was a conscious awareness of his presence. I suddenly became aware that God is not only real, but he's present, that he loves me, that he's my father, and that in the Son and by the Spirit, he made himself known to me. I'm here. If I, I didn't hear voices. <laughs> but that's the conclusion. I, I just got the sense of, I'm here. God's here. I could just, I could feel my body relax. God's here. And listen, wherever the Lord's presence is, we're, we're okay. Wherever we can become aware of his presence on a conscious level, we're okay. And even if we can't necessarily, we can know, we can discipline our thinking that God is here. We don't have to have some kind of visceral reaction, some kind of bodily experience. We can begin by just accepting the fact by faith that God is with you because he is. One of the things my wife mentioned to me during this last week is, you know, it's not as if God is with us when everything's going fine. We're at home in our easy chair. And then he's not when things are going, well, less than fine. And that was so simple, but so profound. God is with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you, says in Hebrews 13. So we rest. We rest in the fact that, that he will never leave us nor forsake us. We are not victims of our circumstances, we determined. Hallelujah. That these circumstances were not happening on our vacation. That word. <laughs> Where do we vacate when we go on vacation? Well, that's a topic for another um, address. He's not with us at home and not on, while we're on vacation. And, and, and there's this uh, circumstances, therefore, don't, doesn't have to mean that we're going to be experiencing stress and volatility. It means that the outcome is going to be stability, steadfastness, greater perseverance. Now, we have to remember that at verse 5, he tells us too, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. That's the mature response to circumstances. 
The mature response for you when you're faced with various trials is to pray for wisdom. And we must ask in faith, he warns us, with no doubting, for the time, for excuse me, uh, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. So if you're, if you're dealing with volatility and, and you're being tossed back and forth by your daily circumstances, it's, it's because not because of your circumstances is so bad, it's because your faith has to be activated. Your faith has yet to be activated. And the primary way you activate is to pray for wisdom. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. In other words, these are the things that, the weaknesses that get exposed when, when trials of various kinds come upon us. When trials of various kinds come upon us, we either get exposed as being uh, um, those who relish in chaos and instability, or we try to control that, or we sit back and we say, God, we count it all joy. We know that you're here. We know that you're going to work this to our benefit and your glory. And then we pray for wisdom. Now, let me close with this. This was our the, the second, a third day. This was our, our morning study. <clears throat> so we are to pray for wisdom. And um, there's two kinds of wisdom, James says later in chapter 3. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show, by his, show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So circumstances happen, we count it all joy knowing that our faith is being tested so that we can grow in our faith, so we can be more stable, we can be more steadfast, we can be more sober-minded. And then as we pray for wisdom, we must remember that it will affect our conduct. We want wisdom so that our conduct, especially amongst unbelievers, can be seen. Everyone at the airport was experiencing all the same stressors. What we hoped for, what we prayed for, and the mercy we prayed for is that in our demeanor and in our conduct, we would be shown to be believers in Christ and not angry, upset, frustrated travelers who don't believe in Christ, who aren't in Christ. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show by his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. See, there's this is the, the what's what is the antithesis of godly or heavenly wisdom? Jealousy and selfish ambition. Verse 15. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. In other words, the Sedona like spirituality earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. That's where we don't want to go. Verse 17, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason. Isn't that beautiful? My wife kept telling me, Honey, I have clear, 
I have a security clearance already, prepaid security clearance. They just look at this screen, the screen have me look into a screen, and they can tell by my eyes that I am who I am, and I fly right through TSA. Everything will be fine. So the wisdom from above, I had to just relax and be open to reason. Full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. End quote. So there's two types of wisdom, heavenly, and we were appealing to that. See, as we sat in that beautiful rental, two-story rental home, in Sedona, surrounded by unearth, uh, by earthly, demonic spirituality, we were appealing for heavenly wisdom. And let me just tell you, the Lord had mercy and granted us that wisdom. And we were able to stay sober-minded for the rest of the trip, even at that moment when my wife going up the escalator, looked back at me as we were returning to Seattle and said, I left my laptop and my Bible, my paperwork at the house in Sedona. We'd already turned in our car. There was no going back. The good news is that she was able to contact the management company. They bundled up her bag and have sent it to her by UPS. (laughs) Life happens. It's what we do with it that makes the difference so we can count it all joy now do we need to go creating circumstances or need to go putting ourselves at risk or even danger in order to uh, count it all joy no that would be silly foolish we do need to exercise wisdom and caution and care and do what we can do but again as my wife so aptly put it once we've done all we can do we've done all we can do And that's so true. So we were an encouragement to each other. I'm so grateful for the fellowship that we have with each other. And so I'll leave my long story of the ordeal to on vacation there. But I want to encourage you that part of recovery is to learn to reframe your life from a position where you were on your own in the world, frightened, addicted, terrified of life, to recognizing that no matter what happens, he will never leave you nor forsake you, and you are never going to be utterly alone. God will be there. He is there. In fact, as David Paulison once put it, it's in the heat that Jesus Christ is revealed. So rejoice. Count it all joy. We don't need to control, we don't need to get into a high state of control of our environment or other people to be safe. We can take things as they come. We can take people as they come. Be discerning. Be cautious. Be aware. Be wise. But don't react and don't freak out if you have circumstances or ordeals or challenges. Look to him, rest in him, and count it all joy. Amen.